Peanuts! Peanuts! And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a good Saturday morning to you on... Uh this rather rainy overnight, sunny morning, so we're off and running on the bat around. I am Craig Heist, and uh, Stan the Fan is in North Carolina on some other business, I think. Somewhere over there. Somewhere over there. And uh, that voice you just heard is Bonza Tufa, who is uh, running the ones and the twos on the board, making sure we get up and get happening here on the bat around. And we want you to join us today as well on Facebook. You can log into facebook.com slash pressbox and uh, look at the stream. Obviously, we're up and running on camera. And what we want you to do is uh, when you're watching, we want you to share it as well so a lot of other people can watch it. But we'll be talking baseball with you for the next two hours. Yes, sir. You need to share it yourself. I need to share I will. I'll do that eventually. Anyway, coming up on the show today, a lot to talk about. None of it good, really, when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles because they just started a road trip down in Tampa, and it did not start well with a 15-5 thrashing at the hands of the Rays, pitching again the problem for the Orioles. And we're going to talk to uh, our beat reporter here at PressBox.com, and that's uh, Rich Dubroff. He is in Tampa and he'll give us all the insights as to what happened last night. And a couple of quotes from Adam Jones and also Buck Showalter that I'm going to touch on here uh, in a little bit. But uh, Rich will be joining us, and then uh, that'll come up at around 10.10. At around 10.30, uh, about a half hour from now, we'll have Chelsea Janes, the fine beat writer for the Nationals from the Washington Post, and she will join us and talk a little bit about what's going on in D.C. with the Nationals after the 6-5 win in 10 innings last night over the Reds in a game that lasted four or three hours and 50 minutes. And uh, really, we thought we were going to have a rain delay to start because it really downpoured at about 6 o'clock. And then they got the field cleared, but we did get started on time. But nonetheless, three hours 50 minutes knowing I had to do this show this morning was not uh, a real comfortable feeling at the time, but we, we, we're here and uh, we're going to talk about that. Last night's Nats game, uh, interesting because they got down 5-1. Steven Strasburg gave up four in the first inning, and then uh, little by little the Nats were able to chip away. They got a home run from Daniel Murphy. Uh, and they got the game eventually tied up and went into extra innings. Matt Albers, who we had on the show here a couple of weeks ago, uh, where would that Nats bullpen be right now without Matt Albers? I mean, he has been just stellar. I mean, he, he's had one hiccup, I believe, for the most part. Uh, but really, he has been stellar out of that bullpen for Dusty Baker. And uh, he gets the win last night in a game that Bryce Harper uh, with a couple of men on base, winds up uh, hitting a shot out into right field over the head of the right fielder 
for the game-winning single and game-winning RBI. So the Nationals and Reds will do it again today uh, down at Nationals Park at 4.05. Yes, sir. How about uh, Goodwin? He also came up huge. Goodwin. Brian Goodwin. Going to talk a little bit about uh, him to Chelsea because uh, Goodwin last night, three hits, two walks, two home runs in the game, both solos. Uh, and one against a very tough lefty out of the bullpen and where you might have maybe expected with the maneuverability that Dusty had with the players last night might have been a spot for someone to pinch hit there. But, I mean, Goodwin's just been playing great uh, since he's gotten the opportunity with uh, Jason Wirth on the disabled list, seeing a lot of his time in left field. Uh, he has uh, gotten his chance. He's making the most of it. Six home runs, and I said two last night. Uh, so that was a big deal. Uh, and on a night where Steven Strasburg lasted only five innings, giving up five runs and throwing just uh, again, 95 pitches. Uh, so, Dusty, there was no real reason to, you know, push him any further than that. He, You know, the pitch counts have been up there for Strauss here of late. Uh, but he gets out of the fifth inning uh, and, and gets through five. And the bullpen kind of took over from there. And for as much maligned as they have been, uh, they, uh, they got the job done last night, finishing it off. Blake trying a couple of impressive uh, innings. Uh, Any Romero coming in out of the bullpen for a big inning, throwing 100. I think that was a 1-2-3 ninth inning before they turned it over to Albers in the top of the 10th inning. So things looking up for the Nationals. Big lead in the National League's Eastern Division. And coming off a, a road trip that essentially – they saw them take three or four in New York against the Mets. And remember, we were talking about that last week with Stan, the fact that the Mets kind of played that up really big in New York with the media. And, you know, here's a chance for we're eight and a half back or whatever it is at the time. Here's a chance to really, you know, if we go in there and we sweep that series, we can cut the lead down to four and a half, five in the loss column. It didn't happen, man. They pushed the Mets back over double digits as far as the deficit in that uh, division and right now I think standing fourth behind the Braves and the Marlins and the Marlins wind up taking two of three from the Nats down in Miami after that Mets series however the final game the you know they probably wish they had back a little bit because Max Scherzer takes a no hitter into the eighth inning and before that inning was over it was a one nothing lead but by the time that half inning in the bottom of the eighth was over uh, there was a, an infield hit off the glove of Scherzer that Trey Turner couldn't quite get his, you know, corral in time to throw the runner out. But then there was an error, uh, a wild pitch, and also a hit batter that helped contribute to two runs in that inning for the Marlins. It turns out to be a 2-1 loss for the Nationals. But they come home, turn the page, had the day off on Thursday, and wind up uh, winning last night over the Reds down at Nats Park. And again, like I said, they'll do it today. Joe Ross on the hill for the Nationals looking to find that consistency. And that's been a, a huge, uh, difficult thing for Joe. There's been really good ones and really not so good ones in between. So we'll see how he does today. And uh, he'll be uh, taking on Homer Bush as far as uh, I think the pitching matchup is uh, with the Nats today. Uh, but let's get back to the Orioles very quickly. Last night was just, you know... First of all, they gave up five runs or more again for the 20th consecutive game, and that ties the major league record. So 
that's something you don't want your team or your organization even associated with, but it is a reality. And the uh, 1924 Philadelphia Athletics holds the record uh, at uh, 20. So it's a chance for the Orioles this afternoon to go out and break that record. We don't want to see that happen. Uh, we hope Dylan Bundy keeps the Rays at bay, and uh, he'll be going at it. At, uh, I think their game time today is 4:10 down in mm-hmm. Tampa. One thing, uh, the pitching matchup, it's Homer Bailey. Oh, it is Homer Bailey. What did I say? You said Homer Bush. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> That's baked beans, isn't it, or something? Anyway, uh, Homer Bailey will uh, be on the hill uh, for the Cincinnati Reds today. But last night, let's look at some of the pitching lines. And, of course, it starts with a baldo. Two and a third, seven hits, nine runs, four walks, and the walks just absolutely kill you. Uh, one strikeout. He gave up a couple of home runs. He threw 65 pitches in just two and a third innings, and that just can't happen for any starting pitcher. And this is coming off an outing in which he allowed uh, two runs over seven innings his last time out. So from that standpoint, Baldo was just terrible last night. The ERA is at 726. Alec Asher came in not a whole lot better, two innings, uh, two hits, three runs, only two, only two of them earned. Uh, but again, the walks, three walks. So between Jimenez, between Jimenez and Asher, you have seven walks there. And, uh, you know, you keep putting them on, eventually they're going to score. And it was just a tough night for the Orioles, a tough night all the way around. They are now three games under 500. And, uh, you know, in terms of a pennant race, if you will, at this point, from the game's back standpoint, certainly doable at this point. Six games, but the bottom line here is if you don't start to get some kind of a resemblance of good to mediocre starting pitching, it's never going to happen for this club, and I don't care how much offense you get. And to bring in a friend of mine to talk about it is uh, PressBoxOnline.com's beat reporter, uh, Rich Dubroff down in Tampa. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great, Craig. How you doing? Even after last night, you're still great, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I I. I Go to see the game. Go to see the games. Uh, report report on it's a pretty good life. That's pretty good life. You're absolutely right. But when you look at what happened last night, uh, you, you got Abaldo coming off a, a seven inning two run performance his last time out, and then uh, you always kind of wonder what you're going to get. And last night we got the bat Abaldo, and this was no contest from the beginning. There were four runs across the plate before you could shake your head and really sit down in your recliner to watch the game. What was the deal with Abaldo last night? Was it more command, just the fact that he was off, or what? He had nothing. He yeah. said he had nothing. He said he, said he, had, he said he had nothing. You know, he, his, fastball, his fastball was bad. His breaking ball was bad. Uh, you know, he knew pretty quickly. He knew pretty quickly that he didn't have anything, and Buck Showalter knew pretty quickly. He didn't have anything, but you know you you got you can't keep pulling pitchers in the first inning. You know uh, they went with him, you know, hoping that he would, uh, you know, at least eat some innings, and he really didn't. And you know they're probably going to have to make a change or two uh, before you know before today's game. Uh, and you know, Abaldo gave up a career high nine runs last night. Yeah. So it was four runs in the first, and then. That run in the second and two two run homers in the third. So it really, uh, 
as you said, Craig, got out of hand very quickly. Got out of hand very quickly, and I saw the pitches on the home runs. It wasn't like there wasn't any kind of movement on the baseball, but certainly when there was, it went right across, right back across the plate and in the wheelhouse. And uh, you just can't be living like that, especially if you're going to go out there and walk for people, which he did last night. You're right, you are. And, you know, and as you said, the Orioles walked, uh, what, eight batters. Uh, three from uh, Asher, and then Miguel Castro was uh, right. Another was one not all that was not all that effective either. Uh, so it was a very uh, you know it, it was a very very difficult um, you know it was a very very difficult uh, night for him. I mean you know and there's been a lot there's been a lot of them. I mean everybody talks about the 20 game streak. You know I, I, it was funny. Somebody was asking about the uh, like uh, like in '09. Uh, uh, said, oh, well, gee, they had terrible pitching then. And I went back and I happened to look, and there were the high that year was six games in a row of five runs or, or mm-hmm. more. So it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing stat. And if you, but, date, if you date that back to the 0-21 start in 1988, even during that streak, as abysmal as it was, and still a record to this day, was the fact that you know, six or seven of those games, I believe, they held the opponent under five runs in that streak. Yeah, I think, and it's funny, I was looking to see if there were a lot of lopsided games during that streak. And I think there were in the 21 games, uh, I think they only allowed 10 runs or more three times. You know, and here, you know, they and, and here they've uh, allowed it, uh, I think, six. So, you know. That was uh, that. That was uh, a really uh, a really disheartening performance for them last night. Right. And where you know, and everybody wants to know now where you know where do you go from here? Well, and that's the big question. And we're going to try to talk. Uh, if Glenn Clark doesn't make it into studio today, we're going to try to get him on the telephone a little later on, probably in the next hour, uh, to talk about a piece he wrote that appeared uh, on PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, in the last day, and that's just the fact that he feels at this point, no matter what happens, no matter what the deal is with the wild card and, and how close you may be to that as opposed to being six games out of the division lead, he is saying that this team needs to sell and not be buyers at the deadline. And he references Dan Duquette, thinking that, saying that Dan thinks that this team can still get it together and make a run. Rich, we all know it's baseball. We all know anything's possible just by the years we've covered this game. But there is nothing there that's telling me that that's going to happen. Nothing that I'm seeing is telling me that's going to happen. Right. Uh, and that's why, you know, and, that, and that's why, you know, if by some freak they turn it around, we'll say, gee, we didn't see this coming. Just like right. we didn't see this 20 game, we didn't see this 20 game streak coming. But the point is, the point is, do you do if you're going to sell? Do you do a, a full-scale rebuild? I mean, you know, then that means thinking about trading your, uh, you know, your top pieces, Zach Britton and uh, Manny Machado and, and Brad Brock, and that basically puts the team into a full rebuilding mode for what could be several very difficult years. Exactly. And are people and are people ready to stomach that? Uh, are people ready to stomach Joe Schmo playing third base in August instead of Manny Machado? I mean, who would play third base? They don't have a legitimate, you know, third base option right now. Uh, I can understand, yeah, 
let's say, let's say they're not playing well. They continue to flounder, and they trade Wellington Castillo. Castillo's a good catcher. I think he's going to be their all-star game representative. Uh, you know, he's got a player option for next year, which he probably won't use because he could make a lot of money on the free agent market, I think. Uh, Castillo is about the best thing that they could they could trade right now. Well, you know, Seth Smith and Hunsu Kim are going to be free agents. Well, I don't think two months or a little more of Seth Smith is going to have a huge trade value out there for him. Hunsu Kim would be probably a role player, uh, a designated uh, a pinch hitter in the National League. Uh, so I, I think that there's not that much for them, uh, you know, to trade. You know, they can't trade Adam Jones. You no. can't trade Adam Jones. Right. Uh, so I, I think that it, it's one of these things that's easy to, you know, it's easy to write without thinking about the, uh, the ramifications. Yes, it's painful to watch them lose games. It would be even more painful to watch them, you know, lose games for several years in a row because you decide, oh, we've got to blow this thing up, you know, or that, you know, even if by some freak they got into, you know, they got hot and they got into the wild, you know, when they got into the wild card, well, they're still miles away from the World Series. Well, it's more fun watching when they're, you know, watching when they're competitive. Sure. The time may may well come, Craig, when they they should, you know, when, when they may have to rebuild. But I don't think it's quite yet. Well, you know, and I, and I kind of agree with that from, from this perspective is because over the last five years, we know that after 14 straight losing seasons, this team found a way to get it done, found a way to get them in the postseason three out of five years, even though two of them were a wild card appearance, but they did win the wild card game in Texas in 2012 to set up that matchup in the divisional series against the Yankees. Last year, they lose the wild card game to Toronto. And, of course, in 14, they win the division and by a pretty hefty margin. But the one constant through all of that, Rich, to me, was everybody questioned whether they had enough pitching to do it. And to, to my way of thinking, some guys certainly overachieved. Uh, I, I think you certainly put yourself in a position this year with Tillman being injured and coming back and still not 100% or certainly not up to the form we're used to seeing Chris Tillman pitch at. Uh, but Darren O'Day being on the shelf a couple of times already this year, good news is they got him back last night and he pitched a, a pretty solid inning. Uh, but the, the whole thing that fans keep asking me is why doesn't this organization – go out and try to fix the pitching problems. And we saw them spend money, Chris Davis, Mark Trumbo, uh, you know, they, they, they signed J.J. Hardy to the extension a few years back. You know, they have spent money. You know, they brought O'Day back in at four years. But, but still, they haven't, they haven't gone ahead and fixed the number one problem, which is their starting pitching. Yes, yeah, you know, it's interesting you mention all those. All those – were all those that you just mentioned were guys they spent money on guys that they already had. Yeah. Those were guys that they, they already had. The last time they went and spent big money on a pitcher was Ubaldo Jimenez. Four years, $50 million. And I dare say 
they would be very wary of spending four year, you know, spending fifty million dollars in four years on another free agent pitcher. Uh, I think that the answer is that they're going to, you know, that they're going to have to grow their own pitching. Uh, and, you know, they've, you know, they've, dra- you know, they've drafted a lot of pitchers. Uh, none of them are close to being ready to, to help the big league team. Uh, you know, they, they have, you know, they had two supposedly really good draft choices, Dylan Bundy, who's, you know, pitched well, and Kevin Gosman, who has not pitched well this season. And, you know, the, the thing is, they're going to have to continue to uh, continue to try and draft and build the pitching from within, uh, because I don't see them spending the outrageous amounts of money that it takes. You know, the kind of money that the, the Nationals spent on uh, Max Scherzer, which appears to be, uh, uh, you know, which appears to, to have worked out real well, or the money that the Red Sox spent on David Price. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to, you know, I, I, I don't think that they're going to do that. Uh, and and then, you know, with the money that they've already spent on Chris Davis, I think that they're a little um, a little behind the eight ball. You know, they, they could take a shot at, you know, really trying to extend Machado, which, uh, which uh, a lot of people would like to see. Uh, but I, I think the answer is going to have to come from within. I mean, I think that I was a little surprised that they didn't take a shot at Doug Fister. Well, you know, I, and, and once, you know, that came down to with the Angels where <clears throat> he didn't get back up to the majors. And, you know, he decided, you know, they, they, he had the out in the, in the contract, which, you know, the, and so they parted ways. But then the Red Sox go out and sign him to a minor league deal. So, I mean, there's a team in your division. Major league deal. They put him right on the major league uh, that's, Okay, well, there you go. Well, th- there's a team within your own division that you you know when you know you need pitching and here's a guy that yeah he's probably struggled a little bit in the last year and a half I know he was hurt for a point in time with the Nationals but did a pretty good job when he was down there but when you're when you're starving for pitching especially starting pitching I don't know how you don't go out and try to you know make a deal for this guy or try to talk to him and convince him to get over here you know I I think that that was you know I think that uh, well, he was claimed on release waivers, wasn't he? Right, he was. Uh, yeah, which, claim, right. Which, which I think that uh, which I, I think they would have had a shot at him. But uh, you know, right now I think uh, somebody who could intrigue him is Chris Young, who's designated for assignment by Kansas City. Kansas City, he's right? Somebody who pitched. He's somebody who pitched for Buck Showalter in the past. And I know he, that and he, been, he pitched for the Nationals as well, and did a pretty yeah, good job know, when he was there. Yeah, and I know that you know Fister, you know Fister. Um, intrigued a lot of people in the organization, but I, I think I keep I keep thinking that that the Orioles are going to go out and and try and, and and get a few more pitchers, even if they are stop gaps for now, to see if a couple of them can uh, you know can help for a time, because you know what they have now obviously is not good enough, and what is in the uh, the top of the farm system, well they've seen most of them. I mean, uh, one guy they like. Uh, is Jason Aquino, uh, but maybe he's not. They don't. They they're not sure that he's ready to pitch. He may very he may very well have to prove he's ready to pitch now. Right. Christopher Lee, who's um, who really intrigued them during the spring, hasn't pitched as well as they had hoped at, at Norfolk. And I think that you know uh, you know he's somebody I thought that you you could see uh, sometime around now, but now I'm not I'm not so sure. So. 
right at the top, there's not a lot. There's not a lot other than what you've seen. I mean, they have, you know, you've seen Asher, you've seen Gabriel, uh, Enoa, you've right. seen Tyler Wilson, uh, Mike Wright, who they actually think uh, could be a a good, uh, you know, a good reliever, is now on the disabled list. So. You know, and they've certainly gone to Norfolk again and again, and I'm sure they're going to do it again today for uh, for help. Well, as but, you as you so astutely put it in your column from last night, when you said, "How bad is it?" Well, the Orioles have allowed ten or more runs for the sixth time during this 20-game streak of allowing five or more in a game uh, for the tenth time this season, and they've been outscored during this 20-game streak that we're talking about, 160 to 89. And that just does not bode well when you're trying to win baseball games. And I get Buck Showalter trying to put the best face on it, saying we got to pitch better, just got to pitch better. And, you know, it's got to come from within, as you just indicated. But, you know, Adam Jones is trying to put a, a, a positive spin on this, saying that, you know, we've been through this before. There have been some guys now on this team that haven't been through this before. So they basically just all have to, you know, it's kind of pull your resources and see what you can do and, and don't quit and try to get this thing righted. Well, you know, you know, one thing that's been overlooked a lot because the pitching has been so horrid, the offense hasn't been so great. I mean, you look at the, you know, the bold-faced names. Chris Davis, who's now hurt, who's now hurt Machado, Jones, uh, you know, Trumbo. All of them are performing well below the levels statistically that they performed a year ago. And, you know, um, Scope has, has performed well. You know, Wellington Castillo, you know, offensively has done, you know, pretty well. But most of these guys have underperformed. And, you know, and you'd hope that maybe in a few of those games the, the team would have, uh, you know, the, the team would have uh, outscored the others. The other, uh, you know, like some of the times when they gave up five or six, you know, there were a bunch of games in here where they gave up five or six runs and, uh, you know, and didn't win. But one of the points that I know you, you made about O'Day being back is, you know, with O'Day and hopefully Zach Britton coming back within the next 10 days or so, a lot of these lopsided games shouldn't be so lopsided because some of the pitchers who were contributing to, uh, you know, to that result won't be here. Because Britain and O'Day haven't been here, the Orioles have used pitchers who wouldn't be on the team uh, ordinarily. And, you know, in some of those games, like there was one game in Chicago a couple of weeks ago where Chris Tillman was pitching, you know, okay, and he'd given up one run, uh, one run on eight hits through five innings. Well, you know, there are a lot of, if they had had a full complement, well, maybe Buck would have gone to Michael Gibbons for the sixth inning instead of putting Tillman back out there and then going to Jimmy Acabonis to back him up, and then suddenly it was a five-run game. So, you know, there, there are a bunch of those games that I think wouldn't have been as lopsided without with uh, uh, Britain and O'Day on hand. And I know a lot of fans say, oh, well, you know, if, if those guys had been there, uh, they couldn't have used them anyway because the games would have been so lopsided. But right. my argument is, is if they had been there, the games wouldn't have been so lopsided. Well, exactly right. Rich Dubroff down in Tampa covering the Orioles for PressBoxOnline.com. And we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. And let's hope Dylan Bundy can bring home a win today for the Orioles. 
Well, I'd like to. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind if they uh, gave up four or fewer runs. <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, that's part of history. You don't want to be a part of, right? That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's okay. I've seen quite enough. That's right, Rich. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Craig. Thank All you. All right. On the bat around, Rich Dubroff uh, from PressBoxOnline.com. Major Golf returns to Baltimore July 11th through the 16th for the Constellation Senior Players Championship. Get up close to golf's legends at the prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club. Visit CSPGolf.com for tickets and more info. Back just a moment on the bat around right here. Stay tuned. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassalero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Want to see the Ravens take on the Jaguars in London on September 24th? Just go to PressBoxOnline.com slash London. You can win the grand prize, including airfare to London, five-star hotel accommodations, game day tickets, and more. Get all the details, contest rules, and enter now at PressBoxOnline.com slash London. No purchase necessary. Presented by PressBox, Sports Tickets Unlimited, and Be More Around Town. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the Bunker Party Zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling Six six seven nine three zero zero two hundred. Baltimore Brigade Football presented by MedStar Health. Brick by brick. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. 
a new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. All right, back to the bat around here on this Saturday morning. Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan and uh, he will be back next week as I hope to be as well with Stan as this is usually a two-man show but we're doing it solo today along with Monza Tufa over there on the board, running the ones and the twos, and uh, we're uh, going to go through the afternoon. We're going to talk to Chelsea Janes in just a second, uh, and also Richard Justice uh, of MLB.com is coming up, and then later on, uh, Larry Bigby, former Oriole outfielder, is going to join us on the show, and we're going to wrap things up in the 12 o'clock hour uh, and have a talk with uh, at least one of the positive things going on with the Orioles right now, and that's their young star, Trey Mancini. But first of all, uh, you can enter your chance to win the Ultimate Ravens away game trip when Baltimore takes on the Jacksonville Jaguars in London's Wembley Stadium on September the 24th. Just go to pressboxonline.com London to enter now, and you can even get bonus entries by liking on Facebook or tweeting. The grand prize winner gets a trip for two, including direct airfare to London, five-star hotel, game tickets, parties, and more, go to pressboxonline.com slash London uh, to enter. See full details and contest rules. No purchase necessary. It's all presented by Pressbox, Sports Tickets Unlimited, and Be More Around Town. And joining us on the hotline right now is the fine beat writer from the Washington Post who covers the Washington Nationals. Her name is Chelsea Janes, and good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Let's talk a little bit about last night's uh, Nationals game because we spent the first half hour with Rich Dubroff commiserating about the Orioles. So a little happier down the road with a big lead in the National League East. But last night a 6-5 extra inning win, 10 innings over the Reds in a game where Steven Strasburg did not have his best stuff and couldn't uh, get past the fifth inning. But yet, uh, this offense, as it's done so many times this year, Chelsea, found a way to get it done, got the game tied, and then Bryce won it in the uh, bottom of the 10th inning. Yeah, you know, Strasburg was uh, not not at his best. I, I think, it, you know, we heard them say afterward it was a struggle every pitch or whatever. I mean, I think it was mostly a struggle in that first inning and sort of a diplomatic way of saying that people messed up behind him. But, yeah, he, he looked to be struggling a lot. He wasn't, you know, quite as sharp as you'd like, and, they really need him to go more than five innings. You know, they survived, but they've got Joe Ross and Tanner Roark going, neither of whom has been particularly reliable lately. So we'll see kind of how that bullpen, you know, holds up this weekend. But, you know, the fact that they were able to pull out that win, especially after kind of a really rough loss on Wednesday, just kind of puts them back on track, calms everything down, and, and gets things off to a nice start. All right. Well, when Strauss doesn't have his best stuff, uh, you're thinking, okay, he gives up five runs, he throws 95 pitches, but this is a situation where Dusty had to turn it over to the bullpen, and last night, stellar work out of that bullpen, and that's been a much maligned area of this team all year long. 
yeah, no, they were really good. They were strong. Um, Blake Trinan looked particularly good, which is a nice sign for them. They need him to be that guy. I mean, you know, he's not going anywhere. And as they add pieces around him, he's probably one of the guys that stays, you know, as they, if they make moves that will change this bullpen. So, I, you know, I think that they need him to kind of revive, and he looks great. Andy Romero continues to throw well. Matt Albers, of course. Um, and Matt Grace has been really, you know, kind of a soldier for them, picking up innings where, you know, you don't want to use the big guys, and he's been just as good. So they had a really nice night, and and you just hope that carries over and, and doesn't, you know, they carry over the good and not maybe the fatigue that comes with having to use so many guys last night. Through all their troubles this year, though, out of the pen, where would this pen be without Matt Albers this year? He's been He's been unbelievable. I mean, I think that is one reason why you look at this and say this is fixable because he's not a guy you thought – before this season was going to mean anything to the Nationals, frankly. He was a minor league, you know, invite to spring training, and all of a sudden he's a key piece in the bullpen. And, you know, you look at what's available on the trade market, and certainly you need maybe a couple, one or two high-profile guys to come in. But you can get guys like Matt Albers. You know, you can find lightning in a bottle, and hopefully, you know, that's something that they're able to do. But, I mean, I don't know where they'd be without him. They'd be, you know, (laughs) even worse, which is hard to believe. And, so I think he's been a huge find for them, and, and that's why they cast such a wide net in spring training. You hope one of the 12 guys they bring in is going to catch, and for a couple of years now they've, they've had one do that. You look at the middle of this order when it's healthy, and I mean obviously they're missing Jason Worth, uh, but I'm talking about 3, 4, and 5. When you're going through Harper, Zimmerman, and, and also Daniel Murphy, the averages are out of sight. I mean Harper's hitting 305, but the power numbers are certainly there. Zimmerman is at 3.48 right now, uh, and, you know, he's, he's a homer away from having 20 already. He's up almost around 60 RBI, and Daniel Murphy hits a big line drive home run last night, uh, which was part of the comeback. 3.45 on this team is about as good as anything you're going to find in baseball, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you see why Zimmerman is so important. I mean, we knew it, but you never really let yourself think he could be this good again. And then when you see it, you're like, wow, this is why you give him that kind of money, because what he does in the middle of that order is just incredible. And I think you could argue three, four, five, six is as good as you're going to find anywhere, because Rendon has been really consistent and strong all year. And, you know, people kind of grumble about Dusty not hitting him second with fourth out, but I think that what you see with him hitting sixth is just like one more nightmare for pitchers to face. You know, you can't get away with walking Murphy because you got Rendon next, and it goes left, right, left, right, and it's it's formidable. So, yeah, I think that that middle of that order, you know, if he can stay healthy and doesn't even have to, you know, people can slump. They can afford that, but it just has to stay healthy and, and kind of ride out the rest of the season. But it's, it's one of the best you'll find, I think. Well, talk to me a little bit about Brian Goodwin and what he's meant to this team. Ever since Worth went on the DL, uh, he has stepped in and has provided offense. He's played a pretty good outfield for this team. And in my mind, as he said last night to all of us, you know, the hard work, the perseverance has certainly paid off. I mean, I didn't expect to have the kind of power or the pop that he has uh, and that he's shown, but he's really – filled in, and this offense hasn't missed a beat with him in it. Yeah, he's been really good. I mean, I looked at his average the other day, and it was probably five points below what Worth was hitting when Worth left. And, it, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel that way. Worth obviously brings, you know, some stuff that you can't really quantify. But, 
Yeah, Brian Goodwin has been a really pleasant surprise here, and he's been a guy who I think, like Michael Taylor, I mean, those guys were the future of the Nats outfield for a while. Everyone thought that was what you'd see, and neither really materialized in that you know 22 to 24 range when you thought they would. But here they are at 26 or whatever they are, and you know, really kind of coming into their own. And it shows you what opportunities do for talent. You know, not. You know, Michael Taylor's gotten three chances, and the third time he's really seems to have found his way. And Brian Goodwin's gotten a couple chances, and now he's, you know, finally getting those consistent opportunities. And, you know, I I don't know how the how he fits into their plans long term. You know, I think he's a guy who obviously needs those chances, but he hasn't looked awful in a pinch hit situation either. So, you know, I think he's he's really given them what they've needed, and he's certainly shown them something to think about long term. Whether you know, in their plans, or maybe somebody else's who needs a guy that can play every day and, and give you the kind of production he's given them. I want to talk to you about a couple other guys on this team, uh, Stephen Drew and also Adam Lind. Uh, Lind, when he plays, just seems to do nothing but produce. The power, uh, a, a good way to give Ryan Zimmerman a blow here and there, and that's something you know Dusty wants to do to keep him healthy. Uh, but Stephen Drew off the bench can play a number of different positions, and he always seems to come up with a clutch hit, and he was hurt for a while, but he's back now. He drove one to the wall last night. We thought maybe that might end the game, but uh, uh, nonetheless, these two guys are very integral parts of this team that, to me, are just invaluable for Dusty going forward. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Drew is, is a find that I don't know that we'll fully appreciate until he's not there anymore because he has been really unbelievable in his ability to give them really good – pinch hit at bats in pretty much every situation. I mean, he is he's not only going to give you a good at bat, but you almost expect him to homer, double, do something crazy, and it's it's not that easy. And I think Lynn's been the same way against right-handed pitching, where you put him up in a game pretty much to tie it with a homer, and you actually think that that is a realistic possibility. I mean, both those guys just seem to have whatever it takes to be in that bench role. They seem to kind of like the time that they're getting. And I think that's really rare. It's something to really appreciate that, you know, you're going to bring in a lot of guys through the years that try to fit those roles, and not all of them are going to be able to do it, and, and they have just done an absolutely outstanding job, not only of, you know, pinch hit stuff, but also, you know, when they play every day, they're, you know, giving you productive at-bats when they're starting and filling in. So those those two guys have been really solid, important pieces, obviously, but just also kind of outstanding finds on the Nats part, in my mind. I mean, to get Lynn for a million and Drew yeah. for, I think, the three million that they got him for, or whatever it was, it's, you know, it's cheap, but it's important, and that's what the Nats, you know, kind of pride themselves on, and they did a good job there. They fit the budget, in other words, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, before that last road trip started, uh, the Nats had a Pretty dismal homestand, but they went on the road, and the Mets at that point were eight and a half back, I think nine in the loss column, and they were kind of making that thing out to be, we got four games against the division leaders, it's a chance to get back in the pennant race and the division race, and they go up there and take three out of four uh, in that series, and then they go to Miami, and they lose two of three, but that last game uh, where Max Scherzer takes the no-no into the eighth inning. And, I mean, this is the the cruel end of baseball, if you will, because you have an infield hit, a hit batter, an error, and eventually John Carlos Stanton's single. And then not only is the no-hitter gone, the shutout's gone, and then you lose the game 2-1. to one. In talking to Scherzer, 
What did you find out most about him coming off of that? Because we've seen the two no-hitters. We've seen 20 strikeouts in a game. But what was, yeah. he, what was he like there after that game? I mean, he was frustrated. I, you know, I think we've seen him throw a complete game and lose before. You know, this isn't new for him. He's, when you're as good as he is, you're, it's going to happen. You know, I think that game was frustrating because it fell apart so fast and it sort of turned into, you know, externally, not in the clubhouse or anything, but just yeah. like a finger-pointing derby, you know, like, okay, well, if, you know, Lind picks the ball or Dusty doesn't have Lind there or Scherzer does this or Lobaton does this, and it's just like, you know, sometimes it happens. Like, sometimes it just doesn't work out, and um, I think that maybe the players sometimes have a better sense of that than we do externally, that, like, Scherzer knows that there's, you know, there's not a lot more he could have done. Mm-hmm. And he wants the ball. You know, who who wants to face Stanton more than he does? You know, it sort of just fell apart. And I think that that is sort of the curse of Max Scherzer is that he can get you into those situations, but they're going to be that much more gut-wrenching when it falls apart. So that was it was a tough loss from the sense that I think everyone really wanted and kind of sensed that the no-no was there. I mean, that's as good as I have ever seen him look. But then, you know, that they couldn't put runs on the board, that it just kind of was so easily spun the other way. Was just hard to swallow, but I think it. You know, it's it's one game. It's one they definitely would love to have had, but I felt like it was. It got a little bigger than it should have in that moment, just because it was kind of you know that happens. It'll happen, and you know that's a pretty good Marlins lineup over there. I mean, I think what he did against them should definitely be appreciated in hindsight, and you know that one game is probably not going to be the difference in the end. So, um, but definitely a tough one for everyone to kind of take. That said, and I always ask the tough questions, what's going on with Tanner Roark? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. He, I think he said it in Miami. I mean, you know Tanner, he's going to say what he thinks. He said, I need to stop pitching like crap. And he called himself pathetic. I mean, he's not shying away from it, which you love. I mean, but I think he's just having some mechanical issues right now. I don't know if there's some underlying thing that he's compensating for. His velocity was as high as we've seen it, so I don't think that that's the case. But he just can't quite pull it together and it seemed like you know he tried to make one adjustment before last start and that adjustment caused him to have to make another that he's going to try to make before this start so I really think that his struggles are a really interesting testament to guys like Scherzer who don't struggle for long periods they figure it out it's not that easy you know and I you know Tanner's really battling himself right now as he's admitted and and you just kind of hope that he's able to make that adjustment and feel right again and feel consistent you know without really kind of spiraling. A couple of more minutes with Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post covers the Nationals. And uh, I, I know that with the big lead in the division and the fact that you're talking about a, two, a two-time 15-game winner, there's a track record there, but there's also a comfortable enough lead that you can let him figure this out. Right, absolutely. And I think the same is true of Joe Ross. You know, yeah. see them both the next two days. But you don't – I mean, realistically, you need three good starters in the playoffs. And you kind of can – you know the way Geo's pitching. You say, you know, you can, you can think of a world where they don't need Tanner Roark. You would obviously prefer him to be pitching well, but but they've just put themselves in a the position to absorb a lot, and they're getting help from a division in which the Mets are pretty much going to sell off now. The Phillies, the Braves. I mean, who do, who are you worried about? You're not. So they can they can really absorb all of this and give these guys a chance. And you know, there's track records on all of them. You know, all of them have done it. So you want to bank on them doing it again. And it's nice to have the luxury to be able to wait them out. All right. And then uh, I, I'm thinking that probably the, the, the biggest unsung hero of all of this 
You know what to expect out of Strauss. You know what to expect out of Scherzer. But Gio Gonzalez with seven wins, and is there any possibility that he could make the all-star team uh, for the National League and be able to go down to his hometown and pitch? I think there is. I think it's an outside chance, to be honest. But, I, I mean, you know, it's so funny because watching him, you don't feel like he's doing what he's doing, you know, and that's what the Gio Gonzalez conundrum is like. His numbers are always absolutely fine by the end of the year. And, in fact, you know, make him one of the top ten left-handed pitchers of the last half decade, basically. But it doesn't feel that way in the moment. And I looked up after that start in Miami. I was like, man, he really did it. You know, he wanted to make the All-Star game and did absolutely everything he possibly could have to do that. You know, you don't know if it's going to be enough. There there are a lot of good pitchers in the National League, obviously. But the numbers are there, and it's it's almost hard to believe because it doesn't always feel like he's pitching that well. But he's been absolutely great. I mean, he's gotten himself into trouble and figured out how to get himself out. His curveball has been, you know, from what I've heard, kind of what it was in 2012 when he was, I think, won the Warren Spawn, you know, Best Left-Hander Award. I mean, he's been 21 21-game 21 winner, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. Um, so he, this, is, this might be one of his better years as a national, and I – I think it, it gets lost in everything, but, you know, kind of to the extent that we can root for anything, you sort of hope Gio gets that chance to go home. I think he might be on the outside looking in, but maybe like a final vote guy, you know, he'd fit well for that. So we'll see. But, but he, for on his end, for a guy who said he wanted to make the all-star team, has, has done everything he could to get back there. Chelsea, I got one more question. I'll let you go. Uh, just the idea of improvements to this team, by the trade deadline, and obviously I, I think that most people know that we're talking about the bullpen. Uh, anybody that knows Mike Rizzo knows that he will try to do something to get another arm or two into this bullpen mix between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I have pretty much no doubt in my mind that somebody new, if not more than one somebody, will be on their way. But I am surprised it hasn't happened already. I think that is... You know, I think teams had to settle down, and that's something Rizzo said all along. He kind of had to see who was selling, but I, I definitely expect that to be coming, you know, and, and I think there are plenty of options. I think they saw some last night in the Cincinnati bullpen, you know, which was loaded with guys throwing 98 and whatever. So, I mean, there are options on teams that are no longer have any hope of contending, and, you know, I, I totally expect the Nats to be willing to even sell off a few more minor leaguers than they normally would to get whatever help they need because, I think this is the best team they've ever had outside the bullpen, and they, I think they think that. And so, it's you know, if you had to fix one thing, that's one thing that's fairly easy to fix at the trade deadline. It's just a matter of now, you know, doing it and being willing to give up the guys to get what you need. It's absolutely crazy. If you're not throwing 98, you just don't yeah. belong in the big leagues anymore, right? I know. It's crazy. It's Chelsea crazy. Janes of the Washington Post, thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, we'll see you down the ballpark in a little while. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Chelsea Janes, Washington Post. And you can read all her fine work on the Nationals. Yes, sir. You were talking about trades. One bullpen pitcher I've been hearing a lot that could be traded is Pat Neshek. Well, the, the Nationals do have uh, interest in him, but so do about six or seven other teams. So it'll be interesting to see. And with the Nationals, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, they gave away – a couple of good pitchers in that Adam Eaton deal. Okay, now Eaton's certainly on the disabled list now and gone for the year, but you know you're you're looking at two pitchers who they were you know pretty highly touted, although Lucas Giolito kind of fell out of favor toward the end. 
before he was traded. And, and you just wonder how much more that the Nationals have uh, that they want to part with if they're going to get uh, one of the relief pitchers that they're looking for between now and the deadline. Uh, now, in the draft, the Nationals, all they did was draft pitching. And uh, we're going to welcome in Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio. You can hear that right here on Press Box Online. What's up, Craig? Hey, doing, buddy? Between uh, 10 and 12, Monday That's right. through Friday. Monday through Friday. That's right. And it's a real shame. I mean, like, I know it's not going to change. Well, wait a minute. Before, oh, okay. before you start, all how's right. the baby? Oh, the baby's all right. Good. The baby's all right. Mom had to run out for a, mo- a minute this morning, so she left me with the baby. And then the baby did this w- wacky bit where as soon as I was handed the baby, mm-hmm. uh, a poop. Yeah. So I went and said, all right, I'll go ahead and change the diaper. Right? Right. Take, as soon as I get the diaper off, pee all over me. Right. Well, I mean, there you go. It's just amazing. So it's two the one-two punch from two minutes. How old's the kid? Two weeks. All right. Two so it's weeks. the it's the one-two punch from the two-week old. Remarkable, remarkable <laughs> how it works. Um, I see. It's it's look. I've been talking about this on the show this week, and it's not changing, so it's futile. But like, if there was ever a time for the Nationals and the Orioles to say, maybe we could talk about a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could. This is the year to do it right. because there's no more glaring need that it's not just about the Nationals, no team, no contender in baseball has a more glaring need than the Nationals do in their bullpen. That's true. There's no but I just, mean, legitimate World Series contender. Right, and just when you get that, you have a five-inning outing from Strasburg last night, and then score, right. yep, scoreless correct, from correct. the pen. And, and look, it, that could change, perhaps. I mean, they, they certainly like some of those guys, Coda Glover, Sean Cal- Like I get it, but nobody's got a more of the World Series contenders, or the teams that have a legitimate chance to win a World Series no one has a bigger need than the Nationals do in their bullpen. Well, that's right. And, and when you get to the postseason, it's become a bullpen game. Right. And you, you hope to get six innings max and, and out of then, your starter. Yep, correct. And then turn it over to your bullpen. And we saw that, obviously, a year ago from the Cubs. And we saw that, you know, from the Indians as well. A couple Miller. years ago with the, with the Royals. Royals yeah. Absolutely. So, the, so you have that. And then here you have the Orioles who appear, who are trending towards, I know they're still talking about buying and all that, I I get that, Mm -hmm. but they are trending towards bottoming out before July 31st. And here you have a team that can do nothing but help you in the back end of your bullpen. Right. Here you have a team that is loaded with back end of the bullpen pieces, presuming Zach Britton comes back at the beginning of July and looks like Zach Britton again. Then you throw in Brad Brock, you throw in if you're willing to take on. There's only one more year on Darren O'Day's contract after this, so like you know that doesn't look so horrendous at that point, maybe two years after this point. I guess the second year of Darren O'Day's yeah. deal. But still, Darren O'Day's deal is not that terrible for a legitimate back end of the bullpen arm. All they've got is pieces, but the two teams won't even talk. They won't even have a conversation. Well, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I understand. <laughs> I'm not – but it's just a, if there was ever a time. Right. If there was ever a time for somebody within either one of these organizations to say, I know this is going to be tough, but for baseball reasons – we might want to have this conversation. Which brings me to the column you wrote on yes. PressBoxOnline.com uh, yesterday, I believe it was, about the Orioles now. And it, 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 the, the situation is a game worse now than when yeah, you wrote correct. that. They're three under five they They're six games out of the division lead, six in the loss yep. column. Yep. But they still are yeah, a within wild striking distance. Right, of the, right, right. So it's not insurmountable by any means. And yet you feel like this should be a wholesale well, barn I, fire. I, wasn't, I didn't quite go that far, although in my heart of hearts, Craig, I do kind of feel that yeah. way. But let me get there. Give me, give me one second to get me there. Um, my issue is not where they are, because everybody that says, hey, look, they're still with, you're a 1,000% right, they are. The problem is the trend. The problem is 
the direct the how they played in their last forty games. Well, and I said something to Rich Dubroff earlier. I yeah. said. We know what they've done over the last five years with basically the same question, pitching, pitching, right. pitching, and they've always been able to overcome it. Right now, with the pitching and the fact that the offense isn't doing what it's supposed to be it's doing. It's not carrying the team it's the, not, way, right, yeah. the way it did in the past. Yeah. I see, like you said, trending. I see nothing right now that's telling me that this gets fixed. Yeah, it's the, stabiliza- this year. the stabilization, you just don't, you can't see it. Now, as we say that, if the Kevin Gosman was decent his last time out, right? Mm-hmm. Like if that continues, if Kevin Gosman trends back towards becoming Kevin Gosman, that would change things. If for some reason Chris Tillman wakes up one morning and can be Chris Tillman again, that would change things, right? Like those two right. are the two. This could change everything with those two guys, but we don't see it right now, and so there's no reason for me to assume it. And but Tilly the other day, I mean, he threw two pitches. Glenn. Oh, I mean, it was it was it really, was it was sad to it watch. Was really, really. What did he have? Four uh, swings and misses. Four swings and misses. But he threw a couple of pitches that pitches that were in the batter's box. Uh, it was on the opposite side of the hitter. It was really tough. It was right? bad. It was really tough. So that's that would change things if mm-hmm. those two guys become those two guys again, right? All of a sudden, you're looking at something completely different, and that would affect your decision making. But short of that. Mm-hmm. The trend is heading towards it's it's not going to be good. It's going to be you're you're within striking distance right now, but within a month you're going to be eight to ten games. Well, back. I, I you're was going to be. I was reading some of the quotes from Rich Dubroff's column from last yes. night. Uh, that first of all, they've allowed ten or more runs uh, for the sixth time during this twenty game streak. It's insane. It's insane. They've been outscored one sixty to eighty nine during this twenty game streak. You, you realize that's an average of eight runs per game. And Orioles starters have an ERA over these twenty games of nine point four How? Nine point four five. How could any group of major leaguers have that? How yeah. is that possible? Yeah, like it's, all right, so, so yes, all of those things. By the way, how about they've lost fourteen of the twenty games? Right. How many of those game of those fourteen losses have been by two runs or fewer? Well, yeah. I mean, zero. zero, right? Zero. And of those fourteen losses, they've all been by three runs or right. More. And we and we were going back and trying to check some of the worst moments in Oriole history. Right. Oh, and twenty-one. For example, we did this as a poll yesterday. Right. We did what was the most embarrassing. Oh, twenty-one in eighty-eight. Four and thirty-two but, to end the season. But yeah. in that stretch, they won. Uh, I'm sorry. They they in games. They allowed five or fewer. Oh, sure, fewer right, than yeah. five in like six yeah, or seven of those yeah, games. Yeah, right, absolutely. No, it's this is really really bad. So the trend, th- this has everything to do with the trend and not the big picture situation. Right. If you just look at the, the the record for the season, technically you're right. They are within striking distance. It's about the trend and why it appears as though this is such a disaster. So Dan Duquette is apparently working under the idea of buying, which to me is nuts. That's Gerardo Parra to me. That's right. That team was not good enough. Because you don't have the players right. you're to just, go out. You're just giving something up for the sake of giving it up, right. right? Which you don't have. You don't have enough to be giving away pieces for fun. They gave away Zach Davies for fun in order to get Gerardo Parra, who made no difference in their ability to win a World Series. He wasn't, they weren't a good team to begin with. Gerardo Parra wasn't such a game changer that he could make them a good team. They just gave away Zach Davies for the fun of giving away Zach Davies. Right. Um, Zach Davies this season has struggled, but a year ago, Posted a sub-4 ERA would have been a really nice piece for the Orioles to have in their mix. So yeah. I, I cannot justify buying. No. If you're not buying, you've got a few contracts. It, at the least, Wellington Castillo, who appears as though he's going to opt out, right. you know, it looks like he'll get more than $7 million on the free market next season, right? Um, 
you know, if you can get a bag of balls for Chris Tillman, there have been far bad pitchers have been dealt at the deadline by a team that thinks that they can get something out of them. You know, let's just move him over to the National League. We'll get something out of him. He'll help us, something along those lines. So you can, you can at least call on that, right? Seth Smith, absolutely, you would at least call on to see mm-hmm. what you can get. For th- those guys are the obvious ones. But then you have the bigger picture issues, which are Machado, could you get something significant? So, yeah, once you start doing the math, Okay, so easily to say, deal those first three guys. They're free agents, right? Like, right. try to deal them. The next group of guys are free agents a year from now. Machado, Britton, could you get a haul for those two dudes this year's deadline for a team that wants them for two pennant races? Why don't we ask a guy who might know? Um, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Happy to, yeah. <laughs> we'll bring in Richard Justice, uh, the fine columnist from MLB.com, who used to work around here. Worked down in Houston. And I also want to talk to you about those Houston Astros, Richard. But first of all, the Orioles, uh, they're in a world of hurt. What's your solution to try to fix them? How is Hunter Harvey pitching? (laughs) Not well. Not well. No, I mean, is he hurt again? Yeah. Yeah, he's hurt. And, but from what I understand, he's, he, from what I understand, he's making some progress. But he is hurt. What about this Sidlock guy? Uh, He has not been good this season either. He has really Ooh. struggled at Frederick. Okay, let me ask you one more. This Aiken kid. Uh, he's actually been okay this season. Yeah, yeah he's actually been all right. And uh, I, I guess Chris Lee has been in the big leagues this year, right? No, not yet. He was pretty good in spring training. So, you know, the, the, your answer is, uh, going forward, can they get Gosman straightened out? What do you think? <laughs> your guess that, is that, good that's as ours. the $64 million question. We've been trying to figure out – where the last half of last season went with this guy. Because, I mean, last time out, he was pretty good against the Indians. But then he hit the fifth inning. He had a devastating sinker. He hit the fifth inning. All the hits pretty much were with two strikes that that scored the four runs in the fifth inning. And then before you know it, they're, they're struggling to try to battle their way back. Well, he's 26 years old. He hasn't made 100 starts yet in the big leagues. I mean, you know, the, in spring training, it was Tillman, Gosman, Bundy. And so two of those threes have, have gone by the wayside. You know, I, that's the concern. So, you know, you've got to go get some pitching. And how do you do that? Everybody, every contender right now is looking for pitching, except maybe the Dodgers, and they'll probably be the team to go get pitching. So, it, it, it's tough, and you got to try to fix it internally it, it, any way you can. And, um, you know, Bundy's – I mean, uh, Tillman is obviously hurt. There, I mean, I, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with Tillman. That, that's not the guy we've come to expect. So if you can get Tillman and Gosman right by opening day next year and you get uh, Britain back, um, you know, you guys are talking about trading people, right? Uh, yeah, we were a, m- so, a second ago. So, I mean, ago. okay, the, of the f- pending free agents, <laughs> Tillman is the guy – that <laughs> I don't know what you can get for him. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, and, and what a shame, too, because he's, okay, so right. he's in so his contract year. So yeah. then it comes down to making it hurt. You want to trade Machado, you want to trade Jones. That's what it comes down to. Well, I don't think they're trading Adam Jones. Well, you can trade one of those two guys, but, you, you know, that's, what, that's, your, that's your asset value, your value right there. Well, I think you're probably, you're probably can, weighing the you, fact of, your, of with Machado, trade him. 
try to get the hall, or right. do you, you know, or you give it one more year? Do you give it one more year? Come back in 2018 right, and say we they have control of Machado this year and next year, right? Right. right. He's right. making 11 and a half this year. You a year and a half in baseball terms is forever. I mean, the Red Sox. You could go pick three prospects from the Red Sox easily to to, to make that deal before they go out and get Todd Frazier. But I mean, let's face it, Manny Machado. You, you could trade him any place. And, but then again, that's the kind of guy every franchise is trying to acquire. You know, everybody talks about, well, the Angels ought to trade Mike Trout. Well, you, can't, you could trade him for 10 players, and this may not equal Mike Trout's value. So if, you, if there's any way to fix it internally, if there's any way to get those guys going, you know, Dan Duquette does a great job of finding undervalued assets. But pitching is not a, is not really an undervalued asset anymore. People teams have done a better and better job of identifying pitching, and you know, so it's tough, huh? If you're the Orioles, how do you not, after Doug Fister parts ways with the Angels, do you not make a run at him, and then eventually he winds up going to a team in your division? Well, you know him well. I know him well. <laughs> um, I would say that the baseball people. I would. My guess would be that ownership didn't want to spend the money. I mean, that's. Mm. I mean, because why not? Otherwise, you do. You make that move. But I heard. Uh, in defense, I heard other managers saying, "Yeah, why not?" And I, in fact, one, one coaching staff, the guy was telling me, and Fister, and was putting Fister in their rotation. So. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think the Orioles. Uh, well, it's a question for Buck Showalter, but I would assume Buck would have liked to have had Doug Fister. Richard Justice is with us here on the bat around. Richard, I, I want to go back to this conversation we're having about which direction. I get, it's, if they somehow get things turned around, this trading concept is moot, right? Like it, if, they're, if they're really competing, they're not doing this at July 31st. Right. But I, if, I mean, I don't know what they're tra- – other than – Well, they've you know, got – I don't you know, know they, what their trade yeah, they could, are. They've got to get Britain healthy. Right. That's a trade option. Right. That's a trade option, absolutely. They could deal some of the lesser. The Castillo could be dealt. Seth Smith could be dealt. They've got. But, but I mean, those are not going to help. No, them. not going to get you something significant, I agree. But the other ones that you're talking about, Machado, Britain, Jones is tougher because he's got 10 and 5 rights, obviously, and, and he's got his family here, and he, there's no inclination that he wants to be anywhere else. Right. Um, but the other guys, there's this other tricky thing, which is Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter aren't under contract beyond 2018. And we don't know what the future has in store for either of those two. Duquette has wanted out before, obviously, yeah. to go to Toronto. It didn't work out. There's this, these rumors about a power struggle between the two of them, and maybe Buck would want to be in charge of personnel decisions. How difficult is all of that for this organization in even trying to view the potential for a rebuild or a fire well, sale? Well, tension between the manager and the GM is normal. That happens in every front office. I mean, they're going to you know, they're going to want certain guys. I would imagine Buck wanted Doug Fister, and Dan probably was not able to make the finances work. Uh, uh, you know, that's just one example. But, would, look, look, let's don't get carried away. Uh, you know, would Doug Fister have been a lifesaver? You know, he would not be unsigned if, if, he'd, been, if he'd been the solution. I hope they understand, and this is, you know, we saw it in Dallas with Jimmy and Jerry. That's the best example ever. <laughs> I hope they understand they've been pretty good together. That, hmm. that they complement each other pretty well. Dan is great at finding value and finding players in places other people don't even look. Wayne Chin was not a big-time signing. Miguel Gonzalez was not a guy people thought, 
you know, they're going to get it. And even in spring training, I looked at those guys, Asher and Aquino, and thinking, wow, Dan's done it again, you know. And, I mean, Craig Gentry was a great pickup. But ultimately, you do have to have stars. And so your question was, how, how do they get along chemistry-wise? And it is true, Dan wanted to go to Toronto. But remember, that was to be team president. Right. I don't know that, that that was anything about his frustration level in Baltimore or anything like that. They're not going to do better than Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. And I'll bet you Mr. Angelos knows that. So, you know, I, I think it's okay that they argue and they fuss and fight and click, kick and claw and scratch. It, it, that's, that's part of it. Um, but... Um, <laughs> it's a scary time to be an Oriole fan. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I keep coming back to, Rich. This yeah, is, I'm stumbling around. I mean, but, the, I, don't, but what I don't know what, what to you're, say. What like, you're talking in my, about. Yeah. In my world, I would say, I would call them in and go, we got to make this work. You know, we have to make this work. You guys are better together than you are apart. You've both resurrected your careers here and are now. I mean, Buck's looked at as a borderline Hall of Fame manager. I mean, like when you think of somebody better at running a clubhouse or running a game, you're going to look a long time before you find somebody better than, than Buck Showalter. And as in terms of managing personnel, I don't know if there's anybody better than Dan Duquette. But, you know, everything's connected to every other little thing. I think ownership plays in. I think you guys know that probably Mike Rizzo has days when he's probably frustrated with ownership in Washington. But Well, yeah. That's, and but that's part of the math of, of being in sports now. And something that Glenn and I were talking about a little bit, there is no other team out there that screams for bullpen help right. more than the Washington Nationals. And well, that's not going to happen. Yep. Though. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> reality. It's, you can just move on. It's just not there, even going to be a phone call. Like, you can't even have the phone call about that. Well, wait, how about this? How about like a three team trade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Well, see, the Orioles, the Orioles, wearing a Mariners cap. Right. Yeah, exactly. hey, it's the Mike Piazza to the Marlins thing, right? Like <laughs> you're doing the whole thing all the, over again. The Orioles have back end of the bullpen help that would really suit the Nationals right. pretty nicely. But, but it ain't happening. But it ain't happening. <laughs> well, I would think you know, I, I guess they don't even talk to each other. But the Nationals have pieces that yeah. could help the Orioles. But uh, you know, it's. Whoa, Trey, you know, like I, like I have this romantic view of the Orioles, and I know Matt Wieters is gone and Mark Kakis is gone, but they had, they've had an unbelievable run with that core of players who basically turned out to be as good as we hoped they would be. And I'm talking about Adam Jones. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, and, I mean, there's no better clubhouse. When you're talking about Wieters and Davis and Jones and Britton and Tillman, I mean, it's kind of a model for the way you want things to run. And you, you, you talk about Buck and Dan, but let's not forget Andy McPhail and all of that, too. Oh, oh, he did. He laid the groundwork. It's yeah. always the guy, the next guy. In Houston, um, Ed Wade went and got Jose Altuve and George Springer and mm. Dallas Keuchel. Mm. But, you know, he, he, it's the next guy who gets the credit. That always happens in sports. You know, like, so that NFL coaches say it all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to spend three years developing this quarterback, and then the next guy gets credit for it. Yeah. That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. The way it goes. Now, hey, what are fans When fans, the Philadelphia what? 76ers win in the next hey, couple well, of years. Yeah, when right. they take the phone calls, what are, what are, what are the – what are the streets of Baltimore saying? They they want to deal everybody. I mean, the, the they, city yeah. of Baltimore is ready. They want. They don't they want, want to trade. They don't want to fire Dan or, or Buck, do they? They, they want might to. want to fire Dan. They it's, yeah, it's I, starting to to turn a little bit. They they're trying to trying to say that Dan and to some degree I agree with this. And I know he they, he finds bargain basement value a lot of times, but 
my, my point is, even in the last five years when they've made the playoffs, three of those five years, the whole theme was always pitching, 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 and why don't you do more to solidify the starting staff and try to make this a real formidable team. Now, you know, 14, they won it going away, the division. Uh, but then, you know, they ran into a, a Kansas City Royals team to play yeah, small ball. Yeah, right. And, I mean, for losing that series 4 nothing, they could have easily won it 4 sure. nothing. But, right. I mean, but the whole thing is, though, they've never really done what they needed to do to improve the pitching staff. Now, what about the – how – you know, a couple of years ago they had five of the top whatever draft picks. Have those guys – wasn't uh, this guy Tanner, uh, Tanner, Tanner Scott. Scott, was Tanner he one of those guys? I don't think he was one of those guys, but he's – I mean, they still like – he's you know, he's a flamethrower. He's a 100-mile-an-hour guy, but he's still at double-A. I mean, he's still there's, – there's talk of elevating him, but as a bullpen arm, not as a guy. What about the guy in. Dietz? He's too young. Dietz. I can't even think of who Dietz is off the top of my head. Dietz. Oh, uh, yeah. I think he's probably lower. Um, uh, you know, I mean, so – do the, in in let me ask you guys in, in your opinion what kind of what grade do you give the farm system today? Probably a D at yeah, best. That's probably where I'd be well, too. What grade would you give the Nationals farm system? Uh, probably a C plus. I mean, they've lost a little bit. They've right? lost a little yeah. bit, but I'm sure. Uh, yeah, there's there's some guys down there. I mean, I take Robles on my team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right in the heartbeat. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know much. I, you know, I feel like this has been a. Like, I have had no answers for you. I mean, I know I've got all the numbers in front of me. It makes three of us. It yeah, but what, yeah, exactly. At some point you go, what do we do? And you know Buck's coming into, driving into the ballpark today going, what do we do now? I mean, they're, they're going to make – they have a chance to make the worst kind of history you can make today. Mm-hmm. And, and somebody said to me, you mean in this stretch they won six games? Sounds like somebody ought to be manager of the year. They've <laughs> <laughs> been – They've been outscored 160 to 89 during this 20-game streak, Richard. And the team ERA, I'm sorry, the starters ERA over this stretch. Yeah, I got it here right in front of me. 9.45. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're 13 and 28. Since yeah. They were 22 and 10 in first place May 9th. 13 and 28 since. The starters, 7, seven and 23. Yeah. 7 to 8. Tillman, his um, – He's 0 and 5, 9, 6, 1. Yeah. So, you know, and the bullpen's got an ERA over 5, too. You know, that was always like when you looked at them on opening day, you say, okay, defense, bullpen, home runs. And they just have too many guys hurt right well, now you know, to and it's, really it, make an honest assessment of where they're at. It's funny, our friend Rich Dubroff, who writes here for PressBoxOnline.com, said what's what's been overlooked in all of this is the fact that. The offense and the home runs, which carried them, right, right. has not been there this year. And that's, that's right. another problem. Yeah. But, you know, you always – you have to be led by starting pitching. You, the only way you snap, snap a, win, a losing streak is for a pitcher to take the ball and say, no, no not today. Right. Yeah. That's, the Mike Flanagan and, rule. And, and, and Dylan Bundy has to be that guy this afternoon. <laughs> well, and, and it looks like he's hitting the wall, Dylan yeah. Bundy, recently too, which is – even more concerning because he was the one guy that could pitch. Richard, let me ask you about that team down in Houston, the Astros' first team to 50 wins this year. And uh, certainly it looks like they are the total package. What flaws, if any, do they have? I know they got a great uh, great news on Springer who thought he may be really hurt after getting hit in the hand. Uh, well, but that well turned- they have a four starting – their top four projected starting pitchers are all in the disabled list. And in the time – 
that McCullers joined Keuchel, McHugh, and Morton on the DL. They're seven and seven, and the really their young guys have you know they put a veteran in there, Brad Peacock, and then two young guys, Martez, their number one prospect, and David Paulino, their number three prospect. And those guys have been pretty good. Yeah. You know they've survived. Their their worry, their hand wringing is we need Keuchel in the second half of the season. McCullers is back today, but if you've got Keuchel and McCullers and Charlie Morton. They they really like him. And then Colin McHugh is pitching down in Florida back basically in the second week of spring training. If you got those guys in the second half of the season, you got a shot. They but this is how it's gone, you know. They put every starter on the on the disabled list and the starters they bring up have been great and uh um, must be nice. Must they, be they nice. They have to put uh Josh Reddick on the disabled list with a concussion. They bring up this kid Derek Fisher from the minors and he hits two homers in six games. And so it's it's one of those years when it's falling into place. But their worry is, are a are we going to blow out the bullpen, and b are we going to have our real rotation for the for October? Mm-hmm. So if they need him, uh, they can have Eduardo Jimenez. You know, if if, if they need it, like <laughs> if I they think, need another yeah, arm. Go down is one of the weirdest careers ever. When he's been good, he's been better than anybody. Right. And when he's been bad, he's been bad. Yes, he has. And he was. Well, did he start last night? Yeah, yeah. I watched a lot of that. Well, yeah. you know, the last one, the last one he had. Uh, yeah, last he, Sunday. He looked last great. Sunday, great. he gives up two runs over seven innings, and he was really good. And then you last know, night, and that's almost worse because that teases you. Right. Yeah. Right. Like we know it's in there. We know it's in there, and but it, you know, what is it? Are, is this his second or third organization? Uh, it's his third organization. It's his third, yeah. yeah. It's Cleveland. Yeah. A lot Colorado, of people have Cleveland tried to get it out of him. Dan thought he could get it out. The Rockies thought for years they could get it out of him. I mean, the guy, the guy nearly won the Cy Young one year. We carried them to a World Series. Right. He yeah. carried them to a – he blew past Arizona. I was covering the Diamondbacks then. Blew past Arizona. I thought I was watching – at that time, I would have put money down that this was going to be the pitcher of a, a generation. Mm-hmm. That's how highly I thought of Eduardo Jimenez in what was that, 2007? Oh. Yeah, 2010, he was 19 and 8. God. Yep. Well, he got a nice contract out of it from Baltimore because he played. <laughs> he pitched really well in the second half of the season for Cleveland when he arrived there. He can and afford a lot of steamers. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Justice of MLB.com, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. You're always great with your time with us, and uh, we really do appreciate it. Thank you, boys. All right, guys, and uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I want to tell everybody about the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Do that. If you don't mind, Craig, I'd love to tell everybody because this is an amazing deal. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all of the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Well, if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Ken Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award, voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown but with food. Now that always That's leads what you, I'm talking that about. always leads me to believe that there's no food in Cooperstown. I'm sure there's a little, but it's <laughs> okay. not as good as what they have at Big Anyway, Bats. you can check them out at bigbats.com. We're gonna be back when we do, we're gonna try to hook up with Larry Bigby, the ex Oriole outfielder. He's got some things going on over the eastern shore. Cool. Iron Birds Baseball is back. Celebrate opening night at Lido's Field at Ripken Stadium with an offer that's almost too good to be true. 
Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four opening night tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Hey, KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit D.C. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, (laughs) Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served in a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue Sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello, and get there before August 19th, because these items are available for a limited time only. Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassalero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Farm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the Bunker Party Zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. Hey, it's Glenn, and you know Full Circle Tire and Auto is where my family takes our vehicles whenever we need anything taken care of. Now Full Circle is giving away great prizes this June to honor dads. Stop by and register to win prizes like a bushel of crabs from Vince's Crab House, a $100 gift card to Home Depot, and much more. The drawing is June 30th, and all you have to do is stop by Full Circle Tire and Auto to register. That's 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon. And make sure there are numbers in your phone in case something happens to your car. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS for Full Circle Tire and Auto. I would love to go to London, but I'm not eligible to win. Uh, However, all of you are eligible to win. (laughs) Enter for your chance to win the Ultimate Ravens away game trip 
when Baltimore takes on Jacksonville in London's Wembley Stadium on September 24th. Just go to pressboxonline.com slash London and enter now. You can even get bonus entries by liking on Facebook or by tweeting. The grand prize winner gets a trip for two, including direct airfare to London, five-star hotel game tickets, parties, and more. Go to pressboxonline.com slash London now to enter. See full details and contest rules. No purchase necessary. It's all presented by Pressbox, Sports Tickets Unlimited, and Be More Around Town. But before you get ready to go to London, yes. don't forget, Major Golf returns to Baltimore July 11th through the 16th. The Constellation Seniors Players Championship. Get close, up personal, up close and personal. Both. That Either be. way. Yeah, you either can do way. both. Yeah, all right. To golf's legends at the prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club, visit CSPGolf.com for tickets and more info. You know, I now, shoot in the low 80s. No, you don't. I Stop do. It. If it gets any hotter than that, I don't play. <laughs> yeah, all right. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. That was not bad. Um, Heisty, I have said before, while I can't win this trip to London. I know people that can. I know people. And it's a trip for two. That's right. Let's not forget this. So if you win, just think about your boy. Re- remember who your yeah, friends right? are. Think about whether or not maybe you'd want your favorite uh, uh, talk show hosts mm-hmm. to be on the trip with you. That's all I'm saying. You get a trip for two. Maybe I... I promise I'll have a good time. Well, here's a guy. Here's a guy that probably can Easy. afford to go on his own. Yeah, all that's right. True. Our special guest right now is former Oriole outfielder Larry Bigby, who is kind enough to join the program. Biggs, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, Heisty. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm with Glenn Clark, and we wanted to get you on today to talk. A little bit, yeah, about the Orioles, but also what you got going on over on the Eastern Shore. You're running an athletic complex, which includes batting cages, and there's soccer programs for the kids, and a lot of different sports. Tell everybody what's going on with you over there. Uh, yeah, we, you know, I moved over over to the Eastern Shore. Um, I was originally from the Midwest, an Indiana guy. Um, married a girl from from Maryland, and moved over to the Eastern Shore. Smartest thing you ago. ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I, I really like it over here. So it kind of fits, fits my lifestyle and, uh, you know, three kids, another one on the way. So it's a good place to raise a family. Congratulations. Um, but but as far as the facility goes, I mean, we've been open for about going on five years. Um, just uh, got indoor lacrosse, uh, do some soccer, uh, baseball, softball. Um, actually looking to expand here, um, hopefully, if, if uh, everything goes well within, within the next year. So I'm um, looking to to put up a little bit of a bigger indoor arena for, for uh, so we can get just a little bit more done. But in a nutshell, buddy, I just wanted to try to provide an opportunity to, to give back some knowledge and, 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 and provide a, a place for kids to come and, and learn the game the right way and, and have fun doing it. Larry, give us the details. What do people need to know about the facility? How can they find out more online, things like that? Yeah, um, well, you, you can go to BigBeShorePerformance.com. Um, you know, we have a website there. Um, I do personal lessons. I have other instructors. Uh, we got some players from like Salisbury State, some Chesapeake College kids, Washington College. So Salisbury, you know, my a, alma mater. Yeah, there you Actually, go. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, yeah. so it, you know, it's been great. I mean, we get we get a lot of those college kids that come back. You know, we have travel programs, um, Big B's Black Sox, which uh, we actually travel um, up to Ripken, and you know, we have teams from eight years old all the way through sixteen. And um, you know, for some of our older kids, I try to help them with college placement. Um, try to take them through that that process and provide them with correct emails and stuff like that to, to send off to schools that they might be interested in or, or you know, trying to get a look. So uh, we actually have sent a few off to Salisbury State there, high so, um, 
you know, we are we're, we're providing. I think Troy, Troy Rohan is the coach there now. So yeah, doing a good job, good job with that program over there. Well, it's Salisbury University mm, used to right. be Salisbury State, right? Just like oh, Towson, well, just like yeah. no, well, no, just like Towson State and Frostburg State. Yep. They're all right, the university right. tags they now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Larry, I need to. We need to clarify something. So, uh, yeah. our buddy Rich Dubroff, who writes for Pressbox, does a uh, thing online every night on Twitter. It's called the Jersey of the Night, where he finds yeah. someone at the Orioles game who's wearing a random jersey. And ah. the other night, it was a Larry Bigby jersey. And our buddy right. Stan Charles, I brought it up the other day, and I said, "Are you sure it wasn't Larry?" Are you sure <laughs> that it wasn't Larry who was wearing the Larry Bigby jersey at the game? So can you clarify, were you at a game this week I, yeah. wearing a Larry what, Bigby jersey? I was at a game, but I wasn't wearing a Bigby jersey. Ah, no. He was in on Wednesday night. Okay. Yeah, and actually I was in over the weekend for the Cardinals series. You know, okay. There was a little bit of history with St. Louis. So uh, some of my family came in from the Midwest, and they're Cardinal fans. And uh, But they, I promise you they weren't wearing a Bigby jersey. They are actually wearing a Yachty Molina jersey. <laughs> so, but but actually, someone did tell me that they saw a Bigby jersey in the crowd, which I was I was a little bit a little bit shocked. So, I'd love to get a picture and, and find out who that guy is and and, and thank him for that. That's cool. <laughs> we, we will. Uh, we got a picture. We got, Rich yeah, put we it got up. a picture. We'll track, we, I don't know if we can track the guy down, but we'll do our best yeah. to see if we yeah, can't find that out. And for you. maybe we can get it and put it on Facebook, Larry's Facebook page, right? And there then somebody yeah, who's a fan yeah, of Larry's. I like awesome. all of this. I love, I love yeah. to. Uh, uh, to give congrats and, and thanks to the people that have, that have followed me closely. So, Larry, what's the hardest thing to teach kids that you deal with at the complex, whether they have aspirations of playing college ball or high school ball? What's the biggest thing that you try to emphasize to them to be successful? Uh, I mean, I, th I think it's it's a it's a pretty you know, there's a lot that goes into it, obviously. I mean, you know, everybody everybody has that dream, and, and, and for a lot of them, it starts at a young age. Um, you know, for the, the, big, the biggest piece of advice that I could give, I mean, kind of going back on my career and looking the way that, that everything kind of unfolded, you know, I wasn't that, that blue-chip kid coming out of high school. You know, I, I wasn't that first guy um, at Ball State that was recruited. And, and uh, coming in, I wasn't that kid that was, was looking to even start as a freshman. So, you know, I just try to tell my kids, you know, just to, to try to keep working hard, you know, play other sports, you know, find an interest, you know, if their interest is in baseball, um, you know, after they get into high school and they have some success with it, then just try to take it one step at a time. You know, it's, it's easy to try to try to put yourself in the big leagues when you're, when you're, you know, coming up and, and maybe not even at the high school level yet. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, that, that, that's a dream. And, um, but, but, but the reality of it is, is, is you know, you just got to take it one step at a time. You know, I, I never tried to put myself ahead of where I was you know when I was in high school I played high school I played football I played baseball some basketball you know went to college um enjoyed my time at college and, and just played the game and tried to learn as much as I could along the way um and next thing you know the the, the, the things started to unfold and you know you, you got to have some luck in there you know you got to have the right game in front of the right person so you know there's a lot that goes into it you know not to discourage anybody you know it, it, it's it's um but but there is. There's a lot that goes into the process, and, and that's kind of with my facility. I try to direct these kids in the right way and, 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 and you know, talk to them about mistakes that I've made in my career and, and, and you know, the, the college process and, and all that because a lot of parents, they just don't know. You know, they, they, they just think that a, high, that a college may just show up at a high school game. And, and in today's game with travel baseball and, and all these different tournaments, you know, these, these colleges have it at their fingertips to show up and see 100 kids as opposed to show up to a high school game. So I just try to provide them with the, with the right piece of information and, and, 
and, you know, let their talent take over from there. Former Oriole Larry Bigby is with us here on the bat around. Uh, Larry, you know the Orioles are going through some sort of uh, funk. I don't know what you want to call it right now. It is it is historic what they're going through. Right. Um, I'm going to compare this to it, 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 with the Ravens. There have been years where the defense has been great. The offense mm -hmm. has been abysmal. And there is the danger of infighting within a team when that's going on. People pointing fingers, playing the blame game. Right now, the pitching staff has just been woeful. How tough right. is it when that's going on for the other guys on the team, the position players? And not not trying to say the offense has been great, but, you know, right. it's what it is. How difficult yeah. is that, and how do you handle that? Um, leadership within the team, position players, avoiding infighting, avoiding finger-pointing and that type of stuff. Yeah. Um you know, I think it comes down to the character you have in that clubhouse. I think I think Adam Jones does a pretty good job of of uh, of being that guy to, to try to hold that 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 kind of stuff from happening. You know, I think he, I mean even even as well as the Nationals are playing, I think you heard a little bit about that. You know, kind of with, with some of the leads that they blew late in the game. You know, and I mean, you know, over the course of a season, you're going to have bickerings. You're going to go through tough stretches. You know, let's put our fingers. You know, let, let's cross our fingers and hope that that this is that Orioles bad month and, 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 you know, coming in July, they can pick it up. Um, you know, uh, but it is tough. I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, it can get frustrating, especially when the Orioles have been used to winning and, and they're not used to, um, you know, necessarily being in this, in this position. I mean, the pitching has been really good, um, you know, and coming into this season, I mean, there's been obviously high hopes on Tillman and, and Gosman. And I mean, Bundy's been, um, Bundy's been, uh, I mean, kind of, kind of done his job. I mean, especially early, I know he's getting up there in his innings and, and, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen there, obviously, as, as the season goes on. Um, but, you know, I, let's just hope that guys like Gosman, who have great stuff, can, can, can snap out of this and throw some stretches together. And, you know, as bad as they've been, they're, they're still right there, you know. Um, and, and not saying, you know, that that could go one way or the other real quick, you know. I mean, you guys know just as well as I do. So, you know, I just think just think kind of having those guys in the clubhouse, those character guys, you know, those veteran guys, I think, you know, bringing Seth Smith over, you know, he's, he's a, a, seems like a quiet guy, but, but, you know, he's a veteran guy. He's been around, um, you know, and then, and then hopefully them pitchers, you know, they, they all have meetings going in and I'm sure that they've had pitchers meetings um, and, and, and trying to get somebody to step up and really, really put some quality starts together. So, you know, you got to take it one game at a time. I know that's kind of cliche and everybody says it, but, you know, when you play over, over that, the course of the season, that many games, you know, it's hard to look ahead and say, hey, guys, you know, we need to, out of the next 10, 20 games, this is what we need to do. You know, you just got to try to find that one guy to go out there and give them a good start and try to get that staff rolling again. So, you know, they got they got, they got some guys in there that, that can definitely, you know, they definitely have the ability to go out there and do that. I just think that, you know, they need to, you know, either either dig deep or, or, or I know they're trying. You know, it's easy, it's easy for us to say now, you know, but you know them guys are going out there giving what they got and, 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 uh, and, and trying trying to go out there and, and provide a quality start, but you know, let's 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 hope that that uh, that happens here come the come the month of July. It's time to put the guest on the spot. You're mm. right. <laughs> here we go. 2004, 139 games, 15 homers, 68 RBI, 280 batting average, on base 341. That's pretty good. All right, on base 341, slugging 427, and an OPS of 768. That's all pretty good. That's that's all yeah, pretty take good. Take all those numbers. Yeah. I'll take all those numbers. Can you do that now, Larry? Baby, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> as good as that guy, uh oh. Yeah, I think we got. Oh. Yeah, we got to try reconnecting with Larry. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Um, Larry, you there? 
we lost him. We lost him. That's not a bad stat line. Oh, I take those numbers in a heartbeat. I take them from anybody. And you know, here's a guy though that played hurt quite a bit of time and and was on the DL a good bit, but. when he was healthy, he had a good swing, played he did, some pretty good defense. He was he was a ball player. He did yeah. a lot of things pretty well. You know, yeah. like he was not he wasn't the he wasn't gonna hit thirty home runs, he wasn't gonna get on base at a, a four but he did everything pretty well. Ran uh, the bases pretty well Absolutely. as I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Was a nice player. He was the type of guy that you wanted to have. Um, I think Seth Smith is a comparable, right? Like obviously a, a, not the same player, but I think Seth Smith would be the the comparable type of guy that we're talking about. All right, now that we've spent the last two or three minutes since we lost him yeah, on the kissing phone. kissing his ass? No, no, no. <laughs> Tra- trashing oh, his whole oh, career. Oh, oh, right. well, <laughs> we well. have him back. Larry, uh, what do you remember about that year? Well, you know, I mean, it, it was, I mean you got to think then, I mean, I, was, I think I was hitting eighth pretty much throughout that, that lineup. So, so I'll take that for an eight-hole hitter, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it was a little bit of a different era. I think we all know that. Um, you know, and and when you're when you're playing in that area, you're compared obviously to everybody that's that's in your position. And and the AL East wasn't no slouch, you know, with with left fielders like Manny Ramirez and and, and Gary Sheffield. So, as good as I I would have, you know, as good as or as happy as I was to have those type of numbers, it just you know you still felt the pressure of man, I got to hit thirty or I got to hit thirty five, you know, because that's just that's just the way the game was was kind of more tailored back in that in that time, you know. Um, I think. I think the, the the numbers that I had kind of play more in today's game, you know, um, yep. and and outside of the of that that kind of tainted era, you know, not that, um, you know, uh, but but you know, not to put a put a put a black cloud on that heist. Yeah, I was very very proud of those numbers, man, and, and uh, that was a great year, buddy. I tell you, um, things. But again, you know, you see guys go through good seasons and then and then they go through bad seasons, whether it's injuries or you know, like Chris Tillman, you know, had a, had a good year last year. You know, dealt with some injuries early. You know, usually guys that miss some time in spring training seem like they always stumble coming out of the gate, and 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 sometimes never really find it the rest of that season. So, um, you know, a lot goes into it. You, you try to find your groove, you try to find your routine, and 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 you let the season play out. You know, um, when you when you try to worry about your numbers and you try to chase numbers, it seems like you put a lot of pressure on yourself, and, and things don't always pan. So, um, looking back, hey, I wish I could have strung a few more of those. And and uh, but but you know it, it just it didn't work out that way. You know I was traded and obviously um, bounced around a little bit. And uh, but I tell you what, I, I enjoyed my time in Baltimore. Yeah, Toronto, Colorado, like you said earlier, St. Louis. Uh, yeah. When you were with the Orioles, Mike Hargrove was here for a while, and uh, who else was managing after Hargrove? Uh, we had Mazzilli. Mazzilli, right? yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had, we had, we had Mazzilli, and then obviously I went to Colorado, played for Clint Hurdle, uh, Tony LaRusso in, um, in St. Louis. Um, so, you know, played, played for a lot of good managers. You know, Mike Harper was a good one. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't his best years in, in Baltimore, but at the same time, he was a good guy, veteran manager, um, who, who actually gave me a shot as a young guy, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't usually happen. You know, Mike Harper wasn't really known for, letting the young guys play so i tip my cat for, for, for him kind of getting me in there and, and uh you know we were going through a little bit of a changeover with a veteran kind of coming in with with a lot of young guys coming up and they were kind of in that transition and obviously all the fans remember those days too so i don't have to remind them well and you came up good to see the Orioles back on track yeah you right. came i'm thinking too you came up in 01 which right. was a pretty special end of the season yeah. to, to get your chance to make your major league debut there was a lot going on there at the end of the year in 01. 
Oh yeah, I mean with Cal, yeah, I mean Cal's whole, Cal's uh, farewell tour, and and uh, you know it's just a lot of moving pieces. I mean, I was in Double A, and it was really only my, I think it was my second full season in minor leagues, and and you know Sid Thrift was a GM, and they had called me straight out of Double A, and 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 I was a little bit surprised that it was it was that early of a call, but you know you're never complaining when you get a call to the big yeah, right. you know, you know, I mean, when you, when you kind of think, sit back and, and, you, and you look at your career and you know a little bit about, about what you do about the game at this point in my life, you know, you, you kind of just maybe would have got a little bit more seasoning, you know, and, and that way when you got to the big leagues, um, it wasn't so much learning on, on the spot there, but you know, again, I'm not complaining there at all. I mean, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity and, uh, and I think we lost Larry. <laughs> One more time. Might, might be time to do Might something. be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but keep in mind, he's got the complex yes. over yes. on the Eastern Shore. So that's going to be very interesting. And you and never know when you might see him at a baseball game. You know. And we, might, right. It was funny. He was in the Masson booth the other night yeah. doing the pregame show with Tom Davis and uh, Rick Dempsey. And uh, I was sitting up in the press lounge. I'm looking, hey, there's Bigby. <laughs> Got to go down and say hello. Absolutely. It's been a while. Absolutely. Uh, you want to read? Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. We, we got to get the break. I know that. All right. Uh, if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted best burgers and wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown. But with food and better food. And better, better food. food. Better food. Check in Cooperstown. Yeah, right? right Check them enough. out at BigBats.com. Well, don't forget, let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of your uh, planning for the family's night out. Introducing the Green Turtles Friend and Family Package. You get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for just $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting www.ironbirdsbaseball.com your summer starts now and when we come back we'll be talking to one of the Orioles brightest young stars Trey Mancini right after this want to see the Ravens take on the Jaguars in London on September 24th just go to PressBoxOnline.com slash London. You can win the grand prize, including airfare to London, five-star hotel accommodations, game day tickets, and more. Get all the details, contest rules, and enter now at PressBoxOnline.com slash London. No purchase necessary. Presented by PressBox, Sports Tickets Unlimited, and Be More Around Town. Hey, it's Glenn, and you know Full Circle Tire and Auto is where my family takes our vehicles whenever we need anything taken care of. Now Full Circle is giving away great prizes this June to honor dads. Stop by and register to win prizes like a bushel of crabs from Vince's Crab House, a $100 gift card to Home Depot, and much more. The drawing is June 30th, and all you have to do is stop by Full Circle Tire and Auto to register. That's 1304 Governor's Court. Unit 110 in Abingdon. And make sure their number's in your phone in case something happens to your car. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS for Full Circle Tire and Auto. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, 
we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. Press box. Find section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section 336.com. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that's, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins Heat Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbird caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist and Stan the Fan is off this week, but uh, we're with Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles and Trey uh, two and a half months into this season, it's been a pretty good one for you in terms of the power and the production. How do you assess the first two and a half months for you in this uh, 2017 season? As far as offensively and defensively learning the outfield and um, kind of everything that's been thrown um, my way, I feel pretty good about it. But um, I'm going to keep working hard and, and try to keep improving because there's always there's always things you can keep doing to uh, to improve your game in baseball. and more importantly to help the team win and that's the most important thing is trying to um, you know turn the tides here a little bit and, and put some uh, good series together. Now when Chris Davis went down with the injury that put you back at first base so I don't suppose there was much of an adjustment there for you. It hasn't been too much of an adjustment I'd say just because I've been playing there my whole life yeah. and uh, my whole my whole professional career was at first so I didn't really feel like I needed to relearn anything. I um I stayed in decent, like, first base shape. I taped some ground balls here and there, even though I was doing the large majority of my work in the outfield because I needed all the reps I could get out there. Um, but, no, I feel really comfortable there, and, um, you know, we're all excited and, and um, ready for Chris to come back whenever that is. But until that time, I'm yeah, going to try to do the best of my abilities to, to play a good first base out there. Funny, because we saw you drop the pop-up, the one you misjudged, but then... <laughs> During that same sequence in that game, a couple of fabulous picks at first base, one on Tejada's throw, which probably saved a run. And uh, really, that's that's probably the hardest thing about first base over there is saving your other infielders from errors. Definitely. You always want to do that. I uh, Yeah, I took that pop-up pretty hard on myself after the game. Honestly, I don't know what happened. It was just a weird play, and I just missed it. Uh, I don't really have an excuse, but I... I uh, 
yeah, I stared at the wall a good 30 second, 30 minutes after the game and uh, trying to replay it through my head wondering what happened. But, um, no, I, I didn't really let it affect me too much, like, coming in the next day. And overall, I feel pretty good about how, how it's been going out there. Heading into this weekend, 12 homers, 38 RBIs, you're hitting about 315. So from the consistency standpoint, uh, I think you're probably pretty happy with that, right? Yeah, I feel um, there were a lot of adjustments I had to make at the beginning of the year. I, I kind of sh- was struggling towards the end of April, and um, pitchers, I think the scouting report got out on me, and people knew what they wanted to do, which is throw a lot of off-speed low and away, and I, I was chasing it. And um, kind of, and thankfully, um, Cooley and, and Howie um, helped me a lot kind of break out of that, and some of the other guys in this clubhouse, too. Um, I had some talks with guys, and... And, yeah, the consistency has been the key, trying to, you know, take something good out of every game and bring it to the next day, I think, has been a, a very important thing. How important it is for you to be able to use all parts of the field because it seems like when you're going well, you're driving the ball to right center in the gap, hit going the other way and hitting the ball down the right field line. Yeah, my main philosophy, and it's I've always kind of been like this, is to try to drive the ball to right center field. And um, anything in, my I usually will react to it. Um, but... I try to stay committed to right field, and, and um, it helps you see the ball a little better, especially on off-speed pitches. You kind of wait back a little more um, instead of, like, flying open if you're trying to pull the ball or try to hit a home run. Um, at least for me, it doesn't really end up being a good result. From the minor league perspective, as you made your way up through the organization, uh, you know, AAA last year early, the numbers were fairly solid. Then you got up here and you kept – with, you know, pretty much the same thing going. And when I would talk to scouts, they would always tell me your bat was major league ready. It was just a matter of how you'd fit in up here, where they're going to play you, that kind of thing, find you playing time. Uh, as you prepared yourself for this step, uh, who helped you the most and what was the biggest thing you learned at the minor league level to help you prepare for this? Uh, well, the question as far as who helped me the most is really difficult. I've, there's a laundry list of people in this organization um, from the second I got drafted all the way till even now that are continuing to help me. Um, you know, Brady Anderson helped me with my swing a couple years ago in spring training, had a big change in my stance. That helped. Um, and there are some people not in the organization anymore as well who, who helped me um, back back at the beginning of my career. And, and um, yeah, it's just... I, I developed a lot as a player. I think in the minor leagues here, I uh, I was maybe a little bit of a project coming out of college, especially defensively. I was kind of uh, going 100 miles an hour, I think, every time, and and really slowing myself down, and and um, and yeah, just kind of controlling myself and realizing I have time. Um, really helped a lot. Um, so so yeah, it's it's hard to mention everybody in, at once, but there's a lot of people. What is the hardest thing about what you said, trying to slow yourself down, and when things aren't going well, maybe you do tend to speed up a little bit, but keeping that under control. Exactly, yeah, just like taking a big deep breath always helps, but uh, but yeah, it's it's hard, especially when you're when things aren't going well. You want to try to force things sometimes, and that just usually makes matters worse. So um, just trying whether the game's going well or not going well, just kind of keeping that same calm demeanor I think is really important in this game. It was a 22-10 and 10 start, then there was a 10-24 and 24 period, and you guys have kind of treaded water since then, right about that 500 mark. What What is the true Orioles of 2017? I mean, we've, we've shown our capabilities early in the year what we can do, and, and um, you know, this is by and large the same 
group of guys that was here last year and and um and I you know I have no doubt in my mind that we can uh, start playing really good baseball again and and um and sometimes it just seems when we're pitching well, we're not hitting, or when we're hitting, maybe the pitching's lacking a bit. I think just once that meshes, um, things will start going going a lot better, and, and um, I've got full confidence in this this group of guys in here. I was going to say, you mentioned the group of guys in here. What's it like being a part of this crew that's gone to the playoffs three of the last five years? It's amazing. Uh, I can't say enough about everybody here in this clubhouse. From the second, I even went to spring training last year as an on-roster invitee. I felt um, welcome. Nobody, you know, like came off as being you know too good to talk to or anything like that everybody um is incredible so nice and um yeah just really made me feel comfortable and I think that helped with the start of my career like as far as performance goes just feeling comfortable is a big big thing and and I can't say enough about um that here how big is it to be able to go around to some of the veteran guys pick their brain and being a young guy not being afraid to do that oh it helps a lot um and I feel I'm very comfortable going up to anybody in here and asking, um, you know, a certain question about the game, and they'll help you out and give you a good answer and, um, you know, try to give you all the information they can to help you succeed and perform well. Uh, in terms of the rest of the season, you're coming up on the all-star break, but uh, what's the biggest thing this team has to do to, to get going and to get going in the right direction to get where you want to be? I think it's just not looking too far ahead. Um, you just try to think about that day and the task at hand and um you know you look up a month from now and if you do that usually things will end up working out for you and and just controlling what you can control and um you know trusting everybody around you too especially offensively you know getting guys over um just doing little things and and trusting your teammates and putting team at bats together which we do a, a very good job of but continuing to do things like that i think really can help in the long run it's funny because Buck always says, you know, no matter what happens during the course of the year, at the end of the year, you are who you are because you've played 162, and that's the greatest thing about this game is it's it's so long a season that you know what you are at the end of the year. It's very true, and uh, and it's a very long season. I mean, 162 games is a lot. Um, and some people can think it's too much, but but honestly, yeah. I mean, in in this game, I think you need that many games to really. You know, determine a season and determine a team because uh, there are so many good times and bad times, and I think limiting those bad times especially is the biggest key in baseball. Last thing, you seem to be a guy who's very humble but at the same time very confident. And when you were at the minor league level, there wasn't like you weren't one of those top prospects, but from a confidence standpoint, you always knew you could do this, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, none of that mattered to me at all. Like whatever anybody's opinion was of me, and there are several I know. Um, and and I've never like faulted anybody. I mean, that's their job. That's their opinion is to say what they think of guys. And um, they obviously have their jobs for a reason. They're good at assessing talent, and but they're not always going to be right. And um, I thought that I could be an exception of, of one of those people that maybe was a little more athletic or or could play a little um, better than was advertised. So, um, yeah, that's that's something that I um, have always kept in mind, but I never really let it like get to me too much. I, I've always known what I can do. But deep down, is it nice to be able to still be you and still say, you see, I could do that, and maybe prove some people wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always a good feeling to do that. Um, but at the same time, I'm still like very early in my career, and I just uh, I really do want to stay as understated as possible, and 
and just do whatever I can every day to help the team win. And I think that's in baseball, that's the best thing you can do is to, um, yeah, and the best way to gain respect is to just play for your team and, and um, yeah, just be a part of, of something bigger than yourself. We appreciate it, and uh, we enjoy watching you play. Trey Mancini, thanks for being with us on the bat around. I appreciate it. Thank you. Pretty humble kid. Oh, I've, I, I can't – I couldn't like Trey Mancini anymore. No. and I, uh, He's such a good – a nice guy. He's a thought – he's the type of guy that – this is not even a joke. Like, he texted me on my birthday last year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah. Like, and it's just – we have talked a few times when he was in the minors. You know, like, we had had him on the show a couple times. And just a super good kid. And obviously, it's everybody he's – the, he's the easiest guy to root for on the face of the planet. And the stuff that you were asking him about – the, all of the people that missed on him as right. far as prospect rankings are concerned, you just couldn't be happier that he's had this opportunity to prove all those guys wrong. And it would be so easy for him to go, see, I told you so. Right. That kind right. of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But and, it's, it's just not. And he heads into this weekend, right. 315, 12 homers, 38 RBI. I mean, he's going to I have a small problem, Heist. I think you're like me. You're not a Notre Dame guy. Right, like no, you're no, not. I am a Notre Dame. Oh, you are a Notre Dame guy. Oh, oh, damn it! All right, well then, this is, you. No, Notre Dame football. Okay, so basketball, I'm, I don't really care. I'm that much not about. a Notre Dame guy. Yeah. I'm, I oh. would say I'm an anti Notre Dame guy. Okay, right? well that's like, fine. It shoved down your throat so much as a child that like I became an well, anti. You know what? And they're always kicking Navy's ass, which bothered me. Like, that really <laughs> well, did. Yeah. Not um, not here recently though. No, Navy is certainly they've won four yeah. now against Notre yeah. Dame, which but is here, amazing. But here's the deal: I, I grew up a Notre Dame fan because. On Sunday mornings, getting ready to watch NFL football with my father. Yeah. Channel 5 in Washington. Okay. And, I mean, here we are in Essex. Just go up, turn the antenna yeah, yeah, in the yeah. attic. We'd be able to watch Lindsey Nelson do the Notre Dame football okay. highlights. Okay. So, I mean, I go back as far as Terry Hanratty. Wow. That's a little bit before me, Craig. Yeah, that's well, a little that's bit. That's right. That's a little bit. But Terry I Hanratty, was, Joe Theismann, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I, it got shoved down my throat as a kid. like Because they were always on NBC, right? Like, the games are always on. And, like, they weren't always good, and this was sort of my problem with, with you know as oh as they a, were always good when I was growing right, up. Right, <laughs> they weren't always good, and so sometimes their game would be like Notre Dame versus Army. I don't care. There's right. another game on, and this is again this is before every college football game was on TV in the last five to six years, which has become the case. Um, so there was other games that I wanted to watch, and and I couldn't, and that bothered me. So I became sort of an anti Notre Dame guy, but. I have been very friendly with both Trey and with Pat Connaughton over the last few years, and I have a bet with Pat that if at any point he and Trey are on the Orioles roster at the same time, then I will come to a game in full Notre Dame regalia. <laughs> I'd and, like to see that myself. Um, and it's looking more and more. It's look like, like we're taking like Facebook it's, pictures. It's, yeah, right? Oh, there's going to be a lot of that. Um, it's looking as though that might be possible because mm-hmm. – like Pat is very consistent that like pitching is is still part of his plans. Mm-hmm. He's only gotten like two minutes a game with the Blazers, right? You know, like it's it's looking like they at any moment they could just say Pat, Pat, enough, it's over. <laughs> and he said, "I'm not doing the D League. I'm not doing Europe. I'm not as, as soon as the NBA thing's over, I'm reporting back to Baltimore. I'm I'm finding a glove and I'm throwing again. Right. You know, like that's the way that it goes. So I'm nervous that at some point." The two of them will both be on the roster, and I'm going to have to show up and on all Notre Dame. And I'll be here. downstairs yeah, to cover it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be very excited. i got to be honest with you. Dave Tremblay, former Oriole manager, yes. huge Notre Dame fan. I didn't know that. Huge Notre Dame fan. <laughs> he and I would commiserate all the time, you know, because there were a couple of years when he, was, when, he, when he was the skipper where 
you know, they got close to being really good. And yeah. Something would happen late in the year yeah. where they'd cough it up or do whatever. I, um, I, I, when Zibikowski was in Baltimore, uh, he and I would talk Notre Dame a lot. And then I lost a bet to Capron Lewis Moore hasn't turned out to be a football player really for the Ravens, but Capron Lewis Moore also came from Notre Dame. And he and I actually bet on a Notre Dame Maryland lacrosse game. <laughs> If I remember correctly, a couple years ago, and I lost that bet as well. Which I have not. I don't have a good history when it involves Maryland and like football players. I like I lost a Maryland Syracuse basketball bet to Jameel McLean, uh-huh. and I had to paint my face like in Syracuse colors, which was a real problem. Uh. I lost. Oh, I did win. Courtney Upshine uh, and I, Maryland played Alabama in the NIT one year. Yeah, and Courtney Upshaw and I bet on that. And then he had to go on Twitter and like do the Maryland fight song the next day. So that was the only one that ever turned out. The NIT bet was the only bet I ever won in my life. Well, I felt really good about that one. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. I appreciate hey, that. Hey, Bonsa said he wanted to say something. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, Stan texted me, and I'm going to clean this up a little bit. But he said, so how much has Craig messed up so far today? <laughs> so I, I, about, I, I, about as much as the last time <laughs> that I did this show. And what did we determine? Well, so I told what him. What did we determine? I told him. Glenn saved the show. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Well, that much I can agree to. <laughs> no, happy to come by, buddy. You know I love you. And you've, you've done it the same for me. And I yeah, absolutely. I love coming. I've got to get up here more. Yeah, right? I mean, you tell me when you're coming in next. I, I need give me to the do day. that. Give me yeah, the day just... you want to come up. We'll hang out. We'll go over and get some barbecue afterwards. I, I told Stan he should be on vacation more often. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time Craig and, is on here by himself, it's the best show ever. And, and, and where is he working next week? Yeah, <laughs> That's what I yeah. want to know. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate course, it. Yeah, of all course. right. This has been the Bat Around. Stan, the fan will be back next week. And uh, thanks to everyone who uh, took part in this show. Rich Dubroff from PressBoxOnline.com, our fine beat writer. God, I hope he has better news to report today. He and I, he's we've gotten contentious recently because he knows I'm a I'm a I'm a sell guy, uh-huh. and he's like, dude, it's you, you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, you know, like we I love I love Rich, and we we come to friendly terms, but it's been there's been some well some jabbing, I, 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 but I, I agree with him. I don't think you can do that because they don't have. I, I understand. I think at some point you. Well, yeah, you got to think about it. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. Chelsea James of the Washington Post talking about the real good team around the area. Yeah, very good. It's true. Richard Justice of MLB.com. I loved his idea about a third team for a trade. There I you love go. that. Adler, That's that a great, great idea. <laughs> Ship Zach Britton to Seattle for one okay. day right. and then send him on to Washington. Exactly. And Larry Bigby, former Oriole outfielder. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you back here again 10 o'clock next Saturday. Don't forget, Glenn Clark Radio, 10 to noon. 12 every day. Monday through Friday here on PressBoxLive.com.